What if we could love the way Jesus did? Passionately, faithfully, powerfully. What if the way we love could make a difference in the world around us? What if that love looked at everyone the way God does? A love which doesn't see the past, but is consumed by a desire to see people come to know Jesus. A love which is patient and kind, not envious or prideful. A love which puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger. A love which protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Do we love like this? Do we love like Jesus? Maybe it's time to ask a simple question. How can we love better? Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in Then I watch them roll away Well, welcome to the finale of our Summer of Love sermon series. The past four weeks, we have been studying the letter of 1 John, and it is all about love. We've been trying to apply it by living it out in concrete, practical ways, and it has been awesome. Sometimes we forget that the Bible is written to specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. Uh, it didn't just fall out of heaven. God used people. And if that is new for you and that's a new understanding, I want to encourage you to uh, listen to our six-week series called Binge Reading the Bible that we did last October. And it dives more deeply into uh, how we read and understand um, our sacred scriptures. Uh, you can find that series in our app, our website, iTunes, Facebook, or YouTube. And speaking of our app, uh, you can follow along and take notes uh, on the Sermon Notes tab on our app. The points and verses will be there for you. So the Bible was written to a specific people in a specific time. And so the letter of 1 John was written uh, to a specific people to address specific issues. And in the time the book was written, there were lots of false teachers arising. And they're teaching all kinds of things that are different than what Jesus said. Uh, the thing that John is combating most in his letter is this false teaching that arose that Jesus wasn't fully human. Uh, see, they, in their minds, it was, well, God can't be human. Spirit is good. Humanity and our flesh is bad. So God can't be fully human at all. Jesus was just a spirit, a, a hologram, if you will. And this teaching that Jesus wasn't fully human was called Gnosticism. And this was a growing heresy in the first and second century, and much of the New Testament combats this false teaching. And John, here in his letter, is combating it throughout. You can see this happening even back at the beginning of chapter 4. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. 
This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Notice how he says that Jesus has to come in a real body. Well, that's because the, these Gnostic false teachers were saying that Jesus didn't have a real body. He was only a spirit. And so John addresses this heresy by saying, test the spirits. During the Korean War, the battle lines were often very close, and it was difficult, especially in a dense forest, to see whether the approaching soldier was a friend or a foe. And so uh, both armies began to ask questions uh, so that the person can identify themselves. And they started to learn the answers to each other's questions. And the U.S. Army asked questions like, well, who was the first president, etc. And one particular night, the battle lines uh, were, were drawn and they were close. And a soldier was walking his post late one night and he heard a sound in the darkness. And he asked him, who goes there, friend or foe? And a voice from the forest said, friend. The soldier then asked, repeat the second verse of the Star-Spangled Banner. The voice cries out, there's a second verse to the Star-Spangled Banner. And the soldier says, advance, friend. It was a test. The word here for test the spirits in Greek is dokimazo. It was a, a way to dis discern and find out if a coin was counterfeit or not. They would test it. See, a counterfeit Roman coin would just have be, would just be coated with silver. It wouldn't be silver in its entirety. And so there was a way to test it, doki matzo, to see if it was real. Uh, ever see someone pay with a $100 bill? What happens? Well, the cashier picks up the bill and holds it up to the light to see if it's counterfeit. That's doki matzo. This is what we are to do with the spirits. We are to hold them up to the light. And by the way, if you often pay for things with a $100 bill, um, you can email us at Product Church Fresno. We just want to talk a little bit about tithes and offerings. Thanks so much. Uh, Dokimatsu, test the spirits. See if they're from God. Hold them up to the light. Tests are common in many areas of life. Students must pass the ACT or SAT to advance to college. When I call my credit card company to make a payment or to secure information, they will put me to the test. They'll ask me the last four digits of my social, uh, my zip code, my mother's maiden name, my favorite dog's name. They'll ask all these kinds of things and the test is designed to weed out inappropriate callers, people who have wrong intentions or who have the wrong spirit. This applies to doctrine, and it has a focus on who Jesus was and is. That's the test of orthodoxy. What do you say about Jesus of Nazareth? So it applies to doctrine for sure, but it doesn't only apply to doctrine. Okay, you're hanging out with friends at lunch. Someone, one of the friends brings, slightly brings up a conversation about a marriage of some people that you know, and before you have time to kind of change the subject, it's kind of full-blown National Enquirer status, okay? You guys, uh, everyone is just venting about this couple and gossiping like crazy. What are we to do? Oh, dokimatsu, we hold that conversation up to the light. We test the spirits. You're driving to work and you're running late and there's two cars ahead of you, one in one lane, one in the other. And so apparently these two cars are best friends because they're going the exact same speed, which is 10 miles under the speed limit. 
you, you kind of do the, the looky-loo, you, you lean over to try and see around them, can I pass them? They're both going the same speed, so you kind of run up to the bumper on one, and as you do that, the other guy just decides to go Sonic the Hedgehog and goes a lot faster. So then you turn your signal on to try and get into the fast lane, and before you know it, all these cars are following that car. And you've got your signal on, you're trying to get over, but all those cars don't care. They don't care about you, they don't care about your time, and so they just keep going, and now you're hitting the steering wheel so angry, you hold that up to the light. Dokimatsu. You hold that potential road rage and violence up to the light. Dokimatsu. Test the spirits. So all these false teachings are going on around John, and John says, Dokimatsu. Test the spirit. Look at what John says back in chapter 2 of his letter. But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. So there's this big controversy in the early church. And it's taking people away from Christ. And John says, you guys have the Holy Spirit. He'll lead you where you need to go. He doesn't say, attached in this email are all the reasons that I'm right and they're wrong. And also there's a link to some follow-up videos that tell you why what I'm saying makes more sense than what they're telling you. And at the very bottom, there's a bibliography of all my sources and Bible passages that I use to convince you that I'm right and they're wrong. No, that's not what he says. He says, you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is something that we need to hear. The Bible teaches that through Christ, we have the Spirit. The Spirit is indwelt inside of believers. And so we go where the Spirit leads. We follow Jesus. There is movement. It's not static. There's growth. There's progress. It's a journey. That's why Jesus says, follow me. He never says, stay right there, right? Uh, the Spirit inside of us is always leading us to live in love more like Jesus. And in chapter 5, John continues his teaching against Gnosticism. He says this in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Everyone who believes. Great. So all I need to do is some mental gymnastics of believe the right things about Jesus, and I'm a Christian. I'm good to go. I've got my ticket stamped to heaven. There's nothing else more to do. No, not so fast. The word here for believe has very little to do with intellectual knowledge. It means to be think to be true, yes, to be persuaded, but it means to, to place confidence in. It's not about intellectual head knowledge. For example, if there was a chair and I said, I believe that chair will hold me. Come on, everybody, let's get a group together and have coffee and just talk about how this chair will hold me. Let's tell everyone that we know about how powerful and strong this chair is. Let's sing songs about how this chair is stronger than all other chairs, is greater than all other chairs. I believe in this chair. That's not belief. To believe in Jesus means to place our lives, our trust, our confidence, our hope, all of ourselves in him. The only correct response to my belief that the chair will hold me is to place my whole self on the chair, relying on its strength to hold me and continue to build my life on top of it. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to be a, a child of God. 
The second half of the verse reiterates something that John's been saying all along, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Once again, loving God and loving others are not two mutually exclusive things within the scriptures. We need to be the kind of church that loves God and loves others. That's how it works. That's the song. N.T. Wright said, the same door that opens to let out your love for God is the door that opens to let out your love for neighbor. I agree. This is what we've been talking about this whole series. Jeremiah 22 says this, He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. Love for God is so inextricably linked to love for neighbor that a case can be made that loving the poor, the hurting, the suffering in the world is what it means to know God. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord. John continues in verse 2, We know we love God's children if we love and obey his commandments. Now this is a beautiful verse, but it often gets twisted. This is one of those verses that gets thrown around a lot when people are trying to make others conform. It's almost got a negative ring to it, right? If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And that sentiment in the church and in leadership can lead to abuse. Command and obey language doesn't sound like love, right? Okay, we would never use this kind of language in our daily lives, especially in regards to love. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That doesn't sound like love. Like even in a relationship where someone is, is paid money to serve you, we don't even use that kind of language. It's offensive even then, right? For example, in a restaurant, I go up to the waitress and I say, I command you to bring a menu. And when you tip them before you uh, leave, you say, well, because you obeyed me so well, I will leave you a very generous tip. In that relationship, they are paid to serve me, but I'm so offensive, right? What is this passage saying? What does it come across like a dictator and not like our first love? Let's go back to Greek class, okay? Greek words have a range of meanings. The word here for obey is terio, and it means uh, to carefully attend to or to take care of. Uh, when I was a boy, my dad bought a, uh, a baseball pitching machine. And so we'd go in our front yard and he would put the balls in and we'd hit it. And at first he would, he would use tennis balls and he'd say, keep your eye on the ball. And he would put the ball in and I'd hit it. And it was a certain speed. And I could hit it pretty far because it was just a tennis ball. Pay attention to the ball. Pay attention to the ball. Then eventually he would put in regular baseballs. And then I would learn to hit those. I would pay close attention to Terrio. He didn't say you need to obey the ball. It was pay close attention to, carefully attend to, be attentive. The next Greek word here is commandments. It's the word entole. It can mean teachings. It gets used to describe commands, instructions, or teachings, okay? So let's word this verse a tad differently. If you love me, you will attend carefully to my teachings. Has a different ring to it than if you love me, you will obey my commands. Uh, same Greek words, same original text, way different tone. The meaning isn't really at all that different, but the feel is different, the tone 
is different. And I think this is more the angle that John is going for because of the next verse, verse three, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Love makes commands light. Just go back to Genesis chapter 29. Remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? It says, so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel because of his love for her. His love was so strong that it seemed to him like just a few days. He worked seven years to marry Rachel, but it seemed like it was only a few days. What a burden. What a burdensome task. But it was easy for Jacob. It only seemed like a couple of days. Why? Because of love. In your life, if you have to learn Spanish, okay, you have to command. It's a command. The dread, the drudgery, the verb tenses, the vocabulary, uh, learning the months. January is enero. You're like, dinero? Like money? And they're like, no, enero. John, Juan, you are very despacio, okay? Muy despacio, John, very slow. I am not learning it very well. It's a command. It's hard. It's difficult. It's, a, it's this discipline. But I would learn Spanish in record time in one way in particular. If Sarah only spoke Spanish, I would be in class and I'd be like, see, sí, see. Sí. And they're like, muy rápido, John. And I'm like, andale, andale, iba, iba. I would do whatever it took to learn it in rapid speed. Why? Because of love. What was a burdensome command has now become light and is done with joy. Why? How? Love. And now we come to the final verses of 1 John. And we're left with some surprises. Verse 20, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Let's finish our series in 1 John, the final verse, the last line, verse 21. Let's read it together, whether you're listening or watching online. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What? That's just so random. That's like me closing this message with peace the Middle East, and when you go to the beach, don't forget to put sunscreen on your feet. What a random way to end this letter, okay? Sarah and I just saw a movie the other night, and at the end of the movie, the last scene, there was a twist, okay? It revealed the twist. And as we walked out of the movie, we began to replay the movie to one another in light of the ending now. Okay, we reinterpret the whole film because now we know how it ends, okay? Lots of movies are famous for this, okay? The Village, Usual Suspects, okay, Sixth Sense, right? Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Uh, spoiler alert, the, the movie came out in 1999, so if you haven't seen it yet, okay, you're not going to, okay? Bruce Willis was dead the whole time, and then you reinterpret the whole film through that lens. You replay it again. John is doing this with verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What seems like something so random, so difficult to understand, so uh, uh, scatterbrained, now we go and trace that back through the letter of 1 John to see where he has been hinting at it, the whole time. I encourage you to go back through the book of 1 John. See again where John might be referring to this idolatry, keeping yourselves from idols. Perhaps John is onto something with the way he ends his letter. 
Augustine once said that idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. We all have idols. Worshiping anything that ought to be used, using anything that ought to be worshiped. Do we use God? Do we use him as a get out of hell free card? Do we put our goals and our ambitions ahead of him? Does your whole life revolve around providing a comfortable living, gaining more and more material? It can be an idol. 100 decoy birds were placed on the Izu Islands of Japan to encourage the endangered albatrosses to breed. And for more than two years, a five-year-old albatross named Deco tried to woo a wooden decoy bird by building fancy nests, fighting off rival suitors. He spent his days standing faithfully by her side. Japanese researcher Fumio Sato, talking about the albatross's infatuation with the wooden decoy, said, he seems to have no desire to date real birds. There's nothing wrong with the comfortable life and getting money. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But when our lives revolve around it, uh, it's an idol. It's a, it's a decoy. It's not the real thing. Uh, our ambitions, our goals can become idolatrous. That's not where the life is. In closing his letter, John is urging us to put nothing above Jesus. That Jesus is above all. Jesus over everything. Kumbukani Firi, a friend of mine who lives in Zimbabwe, told me this, and I've, I've heard it other times since, but he was the first to say it to me, and I wrote it down, and I'll never forget it. He said, the main thing about the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's true. The main thing about the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, we cast down our idols. In his book, The Wounded Healer, famous Catholic theologian, Henry Nouwen, retells a tale from ancient India. Four royal brothers decided to each to master a certain special supernatural ability. As time went by, the brothers meant to reveal what they learned. They shared with one another. One said, I have mastered a science by which I can take just, just a little bone of a creature and create flesh that goes with it. The second said, I know how to grow that creature's skin and hair if there's already flesh on the bones. The third said, I'm able to create its limbs if I have the flesh and the skin and the hair. And the fourth concluded that I know how to give life to a creature to make it complete if it has all everything else. Thereupon, the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so that they could demonstrate their unique, special, supernatural abilities. And as fate would have it, the bone they found was a lion's. One added flesh to the bone. The second grew hide and hair. The third completed it with matching limbs. And the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on his creators. He killed them all and vanished contentedly in the jungle. We too have the capacity to create what can devour us. Goals and dreams can consume us. Possessions and properties will turn on us. Envy, jealousy will spoil what we have been given. So it is not just the things that we ourselves build that can become idols in our lives, but the things that other people create 
can also become idols and destroy us because we envy them. We have jealousy for what they have. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Jesus, thank you for the summer of love. Thank you that you have called us to sing your song, to move in sync with the song of love, loving you and loving others. May we move our lives to that. May our homes be in sync with that, God. May our churches be in sync with that, God. May our world be more in sync with that, God. Forgive us for the ways in which we have placed things above you, that we have pursued a decoy love that will turn on us. God, may we not settle for the lesser, but may we go for the real thing, and that is you, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. We love you, Jesus. We give you this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week, we begin a brand new sermon series here, there, and everywhere. A series about the vision of our church, and we can't wait. We hope you have an amazing week. Grace and peace in Ukraine.